This episode may include topics, references, or discussions around sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking, physical violence, or subject matters that may be disturbing to some of our listeners. We do acknowledge that this content may be difficult. We also encourage you to care for your safety and well-being. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another enlightening but fun episode of She Talks Peace. This is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. Greeting you from Manila. And my co-host... Hi everyone, I'm Dina Zaman of Iman Research, Malaysia. Welcome again to another episode of She Talks Peace. So Amina, what's happening in Manila? Well, so far so good. But Dina, how are you today? Have you had coffee, lunch, dinner, watch a movie with friends in Kuala Lumpur? Well, I haven't watched the movie yet, but yes, I have been having coffees, lunches, and dinners. I think if you come to Kuala Lumpur now, it's like the Kuala Lumpur before. There are traffic jams everywhere, restaurants Whoa. are packed. I think people are desperate to, you know, get back to what you call the old normal. But of course, we're all wearing masks and all that. So yes, I have been a little bit more sociable. <laughs> you, have you? Oh, no, Dina. Lucky you. I mean, you're even lucky to have traffic, okay? Okay. In the Philippines, um, well, the, the difference between you and me, I am a senior citizen. And senior citizens are still under COVID house arrest. In fact, many sen- senior citizens uh, like me who have been fully vaccinated have actually been very vocal, very aggressive about their anger and their opposition to this lockdown for seniors. And one of the principal arguments, which I actually agree with, (laughs) those of us who are senior citizens have limited time in this world. Uh So we are doubly impacted 
by this uh, this cutdown. Remember, you have limited time in the world, and they cut your out your visit to your family. They cut oh, out your yeah. lunch and coffee with mm-hmm. your friends. I can't yeah. go window shopping, and you know how I love to go window shopping, Dina. Yeah, yes, but I remember. But mostly, I am really, really itching to go back to Mindanao and uh-huh. um, you know continue the work that uh, we've been doing for God knows how many years you now, 50 years or so, working in our marginalized communities, doing capacity building for women and girls. We ran a uh, big adult literacy program for, mm-hmm. for many years. And in particular, I miss going to Marawi City. It's a beautiful city. I mean, the, what happened during the Marawi siege is, is really such a, a crime. It's beautiful. It's up in the mountains. It's cool. That's where the main campus of the Mindanao State University is. But you remember the Marawi siege of 2017, Dina? Mm-hmm. And I remember had, that. Yeah. You had hundreds yes. of thousands of people displaced. Well, guess what? Many of them are still displaced. And they're still, yeah, they're still in um, temporary settlements. I just got a text message, actually, from a woman in one of those camps. She had had friended me on Facebook. And she said, could could I please restart this uh, project that we had a couple of years ago, teaching them to make more cosmopolitan products out of their local craft. You know, the women in Marawi, they're very good at beadwork Mm -hmm. and they do traditional art with their beadwork. And what what I did uh, was to uh, work with another NGO working with trafficked women Mm -hmm. to make shopping bags, really nice shopping bags, and the right. artwork was the embroidered pieces of uh, the Marawi women. And there were, you know, it's all unique artwork. No two are the same. So I miss going back there and seeing what's happening in these uh, communities. Because it, do you remember the Sabuanga siege that happened like yes, almost 10 years ago? Yes, I do. Many, I do. Many of those people who were victimized still haven't been resettled, you know, permanently. They're still in temporary settlements, Dean. I mean, it's it's crazy. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we're just kind of lucky because there are civil society, as usual, coming to the rescue. And we have got several NGOs in Mindanao who have been providing consistent, sustained humanitarian assistance to the victims Mm -hmm as well as, you know, livelihood programs, sustainable programs, peace building. Uh-huh. We're lucky we've got NGOs like that. Oh, yes, truly. Yeah, I remember that was the second time I met you, Amina, when you invited me to Manila. Yeah. And you also invited, I think it was me and Ibu Mira, right, to a meeting with the women of Marawi who had just come into Manila. Yeah. That I remember. Gosh, and, you know, I've been doing some work for the Strong Cities Network and we've been talking to activists and, you know, in Mindanao. It's, uh, you know, it's such a rich country that you come from. But all this conflict, you know, it's 
ongoing. Um, how? I mean, are you not, well, fatigued by all of this? But we'll hold on to that question because I know that we've got a really good guest today who's a highly respected humanitarian in Mindanao, but it's not a Filipino. You want to talk more about that, Amina? Oh, yeah. Our guest is a really interesting, interesting fellow. I can't even remember exactly when we first met, but it was like, Decades and decades ago, we're both senior citizens, sorry about that. But my friend, uh, Stephen Muncy, came to the Philippines, I think, uh, what, 50 years ago? Um, He was working, I think, with a missionary group, and they were helping Vietnamese and Cambodian refugees who who were given sanctuary by my government. And uh, Stephen Muncy, Steve, later he established an NGO called the Community and Family Services uh, International. Um, And this was in 1981. So that's 50 years ago. Yeah. And CFSI defined itself as a humanitarian organization committed to the lives, well-being and dignity of people uprooted by persecution armed conflict, disasters, and other exceptionally difficult circumstances. The thing is, after his stint in the refugee center, this was in Bataan, northern Philippines in Luzon, he kind of got interested in Mindanao. And there must be a story there, something that Steve hasn't told me yet, and I hope he'll tell me now, because over the years, He has kind of settled in Mindanao and done a lot of great work, uh, humanitarian work, uh, peace uh, building work. He's very active in in Marawi. And CFSI has already assisted refugees from 48 countries and territories. Uh So he's not just in the Philippines, but he's in Vietnam, Myanmar, and Indonesia. And Steve... This is this is funny because I used to be part of the Ramon Magsaysay Awards Foundation. I, I ended my term there as vice chair. And Steve was nominated to be a Ramon Magsaysay Awardee. So the staff called me up and asked, uh, could, could I help them investigate, you know, find out more about this Stephen Muncy? And I said, oh, my okay. God, I can't even <laughs> Steve. <laughs> but at any rate, right. Steve uh, was awarded for his work on peace and humanitarian uh, services. So, I mean, it's a great guy. Exactly. So, exactly. Dina, let's welcome yes. Steve to She Talks Peace. Yes. All right. So, welcome. Selamat datang, Steve Mercy, to She Talks Peace. How are you? Well, thanks, Dina, and thanks, Amina, for that nice introduction. I, I realize I've created a bit of a problem for you because this is She Talks Peace, and I'm not a she. Yeah, but, but we are. We're yeah. talking to you. <laughs> well, well, thank you for letting me in your circle, and, and uh, hello to all your listeners. Uh, Amina's right. I did come to the Philippines 41 years ago, and 40 years ago, we started this organization, Community and Family Services International, CFSI. And it is indeed a great privilege and pleasure to be with both of you today. 
Gosh, um, Steve, I'll just shoot the first question, right? Um, obviously, you came to the Philippines to do humanitarian work, but I think both of us would like to know what made you stay and what was it that you built from zero to what it is now? What can our listeners learn? So what, what brought me here was, as Mina said, refugees. I read about Cambodians who survived the genocide. I read about Vietnamese boat people who were coming to different countries in Southeast Asia. And in particular, the women of the Vietnamese boat people community, because many of them were attacked by pirates on the seas and had been raped and were dealing with the trauma of that horrible uh, journey to asylum and freedom and a new new uh, life in a new country. And we did our work. It involved training people from those communities to help their own and supporting them with some specialized assistance, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, and the like. And we thought we would do our work with the refugees. And when the camps closed in the Philippines or in other parts of Asia, we would fold up the organization and everybody go on with their life. But in 2000, in the Philippines, we had a horrific earthquake in the north. Sorry, not 2000, 1990, we had a horrific earthquake. 1991, an explosion of a volcano. And both of them displaced large numbers of Filipinos. And so we started our work with people who were displaced within their own country. We call them internally displaced persons, as you too well know. And then in 2000, there was all-out war in the Philippines, in Mindanao. And very quickly, 930,000 people were displaced. And we said, how can we live and work in the Philippines and not respond to that situation? So in May of, two, of 2000, we, we undertook a needs assessment. We talked to all the actors involved including the uh, MILF, and came to a conclusion that the needs were such uh, we should indeed respond. We had no money, but we knew the needs were there, and we had the go signal, so to speak, from all the actors. So that's how our work started in Mindanao. And indeed, we did not expect it to continue for 20 years, but unfortunately, there's been recurrent armed conflict, and the peace process has taken much longer than any of us had hoped for. Steve, um, personal question. Yes. Is it true that to save money for your for your program in the early days, you would actually just have potato chips called chippies for lunch? Is that true? Or is that it, a myth? Well, it is true. I, I left the journeyman program that brought me to the Philippines uh -huh. uh, in less than a year to set up this organization. And that program had provided a small allowance, somewhat like a, a modified Peace Corps program. Mm. But when I left the program, I gave up my return ticket to the States. I gave up that small allowance. I gave up the, the place I was living and I was on my own. And mm. unfortunately, money doesn't drop from heaven. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was doing the work and uh, writing proposals at night. And the general, the Philippine general who was running the Philippine Refugee Processing Center, he said, how can we help? And he even offered to put me on the payroll of the camp administration, Philippine government payroll. Mm -hmm. And I said, sir, that's so kind of you, but I, I don't think that's what, what we should do. And he said, well, can, can I help you personally? And we had a mess hall in the camp where we all took our meals. And I recognized he was a genuine individual and he wanted to be helpful. 
And I just asked him, would you mind settling the bills at the <laughs> mess hall for me? And he agreed to do that. But I, you know, I didn't want to be a burden to him. So I, I, I did, in fact, eat a lot of chippy and coke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> But, but anyway, Steve, I, I really wanted to to ask you uh, about your move to Mindanao and tell us a little bit about that journey. What were your experiences going to Mindanao and working the areas of armed conflict? You know, were there any inspiring moments, horrifying moments? I would have to say that armed conflict is horrifying any day, anytime, anywhere. And in particular, seeing people who've lost family members, lost their home, lost their positions in life, and unfortunately, in some cases, lost hope for the future. All of that is horrifying to me. But what was uh, and remains inspiring, uh, amazing, uh, encouraging is the way people have coped with these difficulties and the way they help one another I, I have met so many people in my time in Mindanao, now more than 20 years, who follow a motto that I only learned in the Philippines, and that is, we will find a way. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they do. They find a way no matter how difficult yep. the situation is. And usually that way involves working together with one another. Yep, you're absolutely yeah. right about that. Very Filipino, yeah. but also very Mali, right, Dina? Oh, yeah. Steve, you also work in Myanmar, you know. So from the Philippines, Marawi, Mindanao, you're now in Myanmar. So what are your thoughts and recommendations on how peace can be attained in conflict areas and how can citizens be involved? I think the second question is easier than the first one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Definitely civil society actors need to be involved, even if humanitarian action peace building is not part of their mandate or their vision or mission or goals. When there's an outbreak of armed conflict, many, many people are affected. And the longer that conflict endures, the longer the damage and the greater the damage. So we'd like all civil society actors to be involved. And it may be that their involvement is sharing the word with others. It may be providing training or resources for affected communities, it may actually be direct intervention with trauma victims, uh, providing education, uh, support to women's initiatives, which are vitally important in, in these situations, or helping combatants transition out into peaceful roles in society. So definitely civil society actors have to be involved. They do have to also, though, recognize at the end of the day, it's the national authorities that are responsible for certain pieces of the work. And that means you have to be willing to engage with those authorities. And as in all situations of armed conflict, there are people on the other side who may or may not have a good reason for fighting. In the case of Mindanao, it was pretty easy. There was good reason for fighting and it's easy to engage with them as partners. In some other situations, it's a little bit more complicated and your engagement needs to be a little bit um, more careful, more thoughtful, more um, nuanced. strategic, nuanced. Thank you, Lamina. Thank you very much. 
In all cases, Dean, I would have to say sitting back and doing nothing is not an alternative. Mm. It's not an option. Mm -hmm. By the way, by the way, Steve, um, I'm trying to recall the name of that young woman that I met through you when we were in Myanmar. Yeah. And she had, and this was a horrific story, Dina. Uh, is it true? Did I do I remember correctly that in order for her to actually get out of the Rohingya area, they needed something like a passport? Uh, yes, I think uh, the person I'm, I introduced you to was in a different kind of situation, but she came from that part of the country mm -hmm. and belongs to a different ethnic group. But uh, let me take the question about authority to travel. Mm -hmm. uh, certain ethnic groups in Myanmar, and, and particularly the Rohingya ethnic group, have certain restrictions. And for the, the Rohingya, they are deemed not to be citizens of Myanmar by succession of governments of Myanmar. Mm -hmm. They have a very different view because they have for generations been in, in Myanmar. And because of that situation for them to move from town to town or township to township, they need authority. They need a permit to, to go from place to place. And this, of course, is not consistent with human rights. It's very difficult for them, but that is, in fact, reality. There is also a cultural aspect to this because there is a tendency to be much more conservative so for girls, for example, when they reach the age of puberty, mm -hmm. they're not allowed by their community to continue their education. Oh, uh, this wow. This is self-imposed by the community. So it is complicated and it, there isn't just one side to the story, right. uh, but, it, but it is a very complicated situation there for sure. Oh, Dina, that's, that's like the Taliban, right? Sure, yeah. And it's something I've also heard. Remember when we interviewed Mahi? The yes. She said something like that to me a few years ago, how to look at conflict, you have to look at, you know, at everyone and how that it could be someone's cultural background that can also contribute to that misunderstanding or conflict itself. So it's multifaceted. I don't pretend to be, I'm an expert. I'm very new. As I keep telling everyone, I'm very new to this. So Steve, I mean, like, I know it sounds as if like we're jumping from, you know, from the Philippines to Myanmar. But right now, I think the conversation in the Philippines, Myanmar, Malaysia, Indonesia is that, okay, are we being overly paranoid about the fall of Kabul? Or will there be real implications on us? Because right now, I can tell you for some Islamist-focused groups, I'm just putting mm. this diplomatically, right? For mm -hmm. some are terrorist groups, some can mm -hmm. be within the government, yeah. are actually sending congratulatory messages to the Taliban. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. What do you think about this, Steve? Well, yeah, the easiest is it's complicated, right? <laughs> right. Uh, yes. It is. And, and I had the, the privilege of being in Afghanistan in, I think, 96, um, when Taliban ruled much of the country, but not all of the country. I think we have reason to be concerned. There are people in this part of the world and other parts of the world who are congratulating the Taliban. Mm -hmm. There are concerns that some of the commitments made two or three weeks ago are not being honored, particularly mm -hmm. vis-a-vis human rights, women, disciplinary action or punishment of people who are believed to have done something wrong. So I think there's reason to be concerned. What that will look like, I'm hearing a variety of things. Some people are quite concerned about rather radical um, extremist efforts. And some are, are saying, no, it won't be quite like that, but definitely there'll be some more conservative language coming from different groups. I think we, we kind of have to wait and see, but there's a reason to be concerned. Yeah, I get that, that impression as well, Steve, uh, from our common friends, people mm. we know mm. who are in actually positions in, in government and the way that they have been encouraged by the fall uh, of Afghanistan to the Taliban makes me really worried. Yeah. Because uh, since I have become active again on, on Facebook, and I, I told this to Dina uh, previously, when I spoke about my worries about women and girls in Afghanistan, then their responses were uh, that uh, the Taliban, um, you know, the, the women and girls don't have anything to worry about if they're good Muslims and, you know, the Taliban follow Islam. Then that started like a little debate, you know, a subgroup in the, the threads. We started talking about, yes, but what interpretation of, of Islam? Because mm -hmm. I said, if, I, if you look at our history, Islam liberated women and girls. Mm -hmm. It gave us rights. Mm -hmm. We had rights when the Catholic Church didn't give the same rights to, to women. So how can we be like that at the foundation of Islam and now be something completely different, taking away rights? So I, I do worry, Steve, about attitudes hardening in uh, in our areas what's what can cfsi do with the, the peace building initiatives that that you've started to kind of keep the space open and safe for women and girls I, th I think one of the things we and and you two are already doing it but we in a large community community we must talk about these things 
uh, not just pretend like they don't exist or they're mm. not important. Second, I think we have to anticipate that there will be moments where we'll have greater confidence in peace processes mm. and moments when we have less confidence. I'll give two examples. I think recently in a camp, in an MILF camp in Mindanao, uh, there was aerial bombardment. And I was there a couple of weeks after the bombardment. And some of the people on that camp were saying, well, how could this happen? We're partners for peace. Mm. They know where our camp is. Why in the world did they drop bombs from planes on this particular right. area? Right. And it was beyond the practical. It was it was really to the kind of an existential. Do do are we really partners in peace? Mm -hmm. and, are we fools to be have express any confidence in the peace process? So there's some damage uh, needed to be repaired, and I'm right. confident that by on the basis of some of the steps taken, confidence will be repaired. But there will be moments like that in Myanmar at the moment. Uh, I think it's it's complicated for everybody. It's a very difficult time for the people. It's a difficult time in the history of the nation. Does it look like it's going to get better soon? I'm not sure of that. Does it look like it's going to be complicated for quite a while? I'm pretty sure of that. Mm. You know, um, Steve, Amina, right? While we are, we are, you know, rather wary with what's happened in Afghanistan, yeah? A few days ago, I saw this on Facebook where a couple of, you know, what we call far-right groups, right? Oh. The women's branch, yeah? actually applauding what's happening in the in Afghanistan and saying that Islam, you know, empowers women. Okay, that's true. But I also felt that looking at the language and what she said on her video on Facebook was that she was also using a language that was very patriarchal, but it made it sound as if it was very empowering to women. And it was also, you know, encouraging people to accept this mindset, this hatred towards others. Now, as peace builders, you know, Steve, I mean, I, what do we do in Malaysia? I don't think we can engage with these people. I, I don't want to. But when you just look at the post, you just know you're dealing with someone who's not going to listen to reason. So what would you do? Well, it's a good question. And I'll, I'll give another example. Uh, I think in New Zealand just recently, we had somebody who'd been on the radar for a long time. And the aim was to get him out of the country because of the kind of speech you're talking about. They weren't able to do that. And he went with a knife and killed quite right. a few people in right. the supermarket. So we, we do have amongst us, I think, some people who will not listen, who have some views that most of us in society would find unacceptable. Uh, we do want to reach out to them. We do want to provide alternative narratives for them to think about. But I don't think everybody will march in the same parade at the end of the day. And that then moves into a security type discussion. That's not my area of expertise, but I am mindful of the fact that we do have national authorities in every country that are supposed to protect the people. That's their job. Yeah. You know, Steve, I've been really wondering, given what you see in areas like uh, the Philippines and Myanmar with the strengthening of right-wing groups, pro-Taliban groups. What do you make of the strengthening of the right-wing groups 
in your home country yeah, I was in the say. United States. <laughs> I, was I mean, how how did that happen, Steve? The yeah, the the, the, the source of democracy and yeah. listening to Donald Trump say he won the he won the Arizona the Arizona audit. When when they came to Congress and said, yeah, well, Joe Biden won, he actually won by more votes. And then the next day, Trump says he won Arizona according to that same audit. It's so weird. So what's going on there, Steve? Well, one thing is I would never listen to Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> That's the slippery slope you don't want to get on. But I think if you, uh, and I take your point on the U.S., in fact, my thoughts were going there as you were making that uh, intervention. I think, though, it's it's all over the world. Uh, yeah. There are so many countries where right-wing nationalists, populists who are very authoritarian and, if I may, very arrogant, mm. have been elected or have been able to obtain power and hold on to it. And it's not the, you know, Amina, you made a joke, serious joke that we're both seniors and we... I will claim it and you can pretend to be a senior. <laughs> but uh, the, the bottom line is, I think the world we're leaving, those who follow us, is not the world that we aim to, to deliver. And that's disappointing to a yes. lot of us. How these people yes. get elected, I don't know. Uh, but once they're in power, they do a tremendous amount of damage. That is for sure. You know, Dina <laughs> and Steve. I like uh, listening to U.S. news and listening to Trump because it makes me feel better about the Philippines. <laughs> Don't you agree? But you know, I have been speaking to quite a number of people in Malaysia, right, who I would think, you know, some are humanitarians, who are actually aligning themselves with Trump's ideologies because they said, mm. this is what's happening. And that is really frightening when you try to say, what on earth made you go down that road when... You've always been doing a lot of good work in Malaysia right. with the grassroots. Why accept this? And we're seeing a lot of this being accepted in Malaysia right now. It's not It's not just among the Muslims. It's also among the non-Muslim group. Mm. I don't know. I don't have the answers. But for us, it's like, okay, this growing phenomenon of accepting and uh, practicing right-wing ideology mm. is something that we will have to expect for the next five, ten years in this region. That we see. Well, you know, one, one of the things I try to teach and live is that we're all part of the same family, the family yeah. of humanity. And I believe all of us should act as one and not as different groups or the other. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't work for everybody. And some people are quite uncomfortable with that. And I think maybe some of what we're seeing is a response to efforts to unite all of yeah. us as a people, as a, as a, as a humanity. It just doesn't work for everybody. And that leads to some people saying, okay, we're better than the others. And let's assert that point and reassert that point. Yeah. What what worries me, Steve, about uh, what's happening in, uh, in the U.S. is the fact that, you know, I co-founded the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy because I'm a firm believer that we can only have just peace and just development within a democratic space. And then these things exploding in uh, the United States. So how do I now go back and say that democracy is still the way to go? It may be messy, but it's uh, the way to go. 
when you hear talk show hosts and political analysts in uh, in the U.S. talking about how democracy is now under threat, that you could be totalitarian in the next election because you've got like 70 million uh, Americans who will believe Trump no matter what he says. So what what do we do, Steve, in our in our advocacy advocacy work? It's it's a million dollar question, I, and I would love to collect that million dollars. I don't, think <laughs> I will. <laughs> but but one of the things I I would say, I mean, and you know this better than most of us, and that is, democracy looks different in different locations. So the democracy of the U.S. might work, or maybe has worked, or maybe will work in the future there. But that democracy will look very different than the democracy of Singapore or Malaysia right. or, or the Philippines. And I think sometimes we need to do the, the spade work mm. to really articulate what is that democracy in that particular location. Yep. Ooh. We were talking about this um, in another episode, Dina, about homegrown democracy, remember? That it may not be the exact same type as you see in uh, in Europe yeah. and the United States. Yeah. But, you know, uh, we, we do have stable democratic processes in Malaysia, in the Philippines, in Indonesia, no matter how much we criticize our systems, right, Dina? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think that in Southeast Asia, apart from this interesting narratives, right? I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, this is not true. I do see a lot of conflict coming in in Malaysia. I mean, you read in, in newspapers, right? Certain ships from certain countries yeah. coming across China Sea and everyone's uh-huh. been left. And yesterday, it was really interesting. It was reported that an American bomber flew mm-hmm. over Malaysian airspace. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows why, actually. And then a bunch of our planes, which are kind of decrepit, are uh, <laughs> and everyone went, why did you do that? And nobody knows why, but this is not the first time our airspace had been breached. Really? But I think, Steve, as Amina said, we probably will have to work on this till the day we die. <laughs> oh, please, I'm so tired already. We need to have the younger people, Steve, the younger people to come up and uh, take over and continue to work because they're the ones who are going to inherit the mess if uh, we don't all get our acts together. Yeah. Well, you know, that lucky, includes Malaysia. Yeah. Luck, lucky for them, I think, uh, their community will look very different from our communities. Uh, their communities are going to be, I think, the digiti- digitally linked communities, mm. not bound by geography. The relationships will be different in, in many ways. Uh, and therefore, the outcomes will be different. But their future is uh, exciting, challenging, uh, could be quite encouraging, could be highly innovative, uh, could also be very uh, fracturing, if I could use that word. Yeah. Uh, we yet to yeah. see. What is clear is none of us can give up, no matter our age. Yeah, okay. you're, you're, you're absolutely right uh, about that, which brings me to the reason why... Steve was one of the awardees. You know, the Ramon Magsaysay Awards um, Foundation was set up to honor and continue the advocacy and, uh, you know, uh, support 
the search for leaders who follow the example of the late President Ramon Magsaysay, who yeah. everybody believed always had the greatness of spirit. So when when we look for uh, nominees, we look for that greatness of spirit. And obviously our friend Steve has the greatness of spirit that uh, Ramon Magsaysay board believe we need, especially today, to inspire our communities, to inspire our young people. But honestly, Steve, do you really think that uh, the greatness of spirit is growing and alive among the young in many of our communities? Or have they become too digitally savvy and have become trolls and yeah. gamers? I mean, what yeah, do you I, think? I, I think it's here. And first, just I'm so grateful to the Ramon Maxessay Awards Foundation for you know giving me this award. And particularly as it's the 40th anniversary year of CFSI. So that's it makes it doubly special. But I do just want to underscore, even though I'm the recipient, the award is about we, not me, because all of the work that I've been involved in involves a lot of people, not just myself. On the point of the youth, yes, I think so. And I had a discussion yesterday with some of our disadvantaged youth in Pasai, and I was commending them on something they had done two weeks earlier. You know, they had Ramp Echo. Uh, mm. This is a group of largely LG, LGBTQI youth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they follow Rule Paul. I think I pronounced the name oh, correctly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, so, Rule Paul. Yeah, yeah. yeah Rule Paul. So, so they had, a, um, in effect, a beauty contest. Ah. And, and all of the costumes were made out of recycled products. Oh, so it okay. was pregnancy because it's a, a project for sexual, uh, sexual and reproductive health. So they used all sorts of uh, used or um, no longer needed products to make their dresses, their costumes. And it was extremely creative. And they ran this on Facebook Live on their own. These are people who have not had much opportunity in life. They don't have fancy gadgets, but they've been able to harness uh, that technology and get their voice out and show their creativity. So I'm very, very optimistic. Again, it will look different. It will be different. But I, I have undying faith in the ability of our youth to change the world in a good way, should they choose to do so. That's wonderful to hear. Because you know, I've been I've been absent from the communities for almost two years now. So yeah. I, I I don't I cannot feel the, the temperature. And it's so encouraging to hear you say that about uh, our young people in the in the different communities that yeah. they haven't lost the seed of uh, greatness yeah. of, of spirit. Yeah. Good. I look forward to to the future. So I don't feel yeah. so old anymore. You're not. <laughs> I'm actually hoping that, you know, once we all can get to travel, it'll be lovely to meet you, Steve. And it'll be great if you could actually, I don't know, hold a course or a program. Oh, yeah. or oh. Because that's something that is really needed, you know? Yeah. Um, everywhere, yeah? Love to do that. Love, love to meet you. Love for the three of us to get together. And I love the idea of the course. Excellent. <laughs> yes. So, so over to you, Amina. Yep. 
So, um, yeah. By the way, Steve, do I owe you coffee or do you owe me coffee? I can't. I always that. owe you coffee anytime, <laughs> any place. <laughs> we'll we'll definitely do that. But I think they might be easing up on the restrictions for for senior citizens, so I should be able hey. to to escape yes. in in a couple of weeks. Knock on wood. Yeah, but anyway, there's always Zoom. There's always virtual lunches that we can have. And on behalf of uh, She Talks Peace, it was really great to to have you on board, Steve. To to congratulate you for the well-deserved Ramon Magsaysay Award. By the way, Dina, that's also known as the Nobel uh, Prize of. Of Asia, so right. I'm yeah. basking in the glory of of Steve. Oh, oh did you know, know, Dina? There are two Mindanaoans who won the Ramon Magsaysay Award um, oh, this really? year. Do you know him, Steve? Have you ever worked with him? I He's from the Zamboanga yes, I, region. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to visiting him. Kadodoy and Zamboanga, yeah. fantastic fisher folk. Yeah, did amazing, yeah. amazing work. I actually had been following. His work from like 10 years ago. Oh, Pretty fantastic. amazing, I thought. And and it's something that could be uh, replicated quite easily. But, you know, that's a story for another time. And I just want to thank you, Steve. It was nice to reconnect virtually. And I'm looking forward to actual connection in the very near future. How about Same. you, Dina? Well, let's let's oh, take him over to KL and we can have Sati. <laughs> I would think of going out to Jakarta because, you know, after two oh, years, yeah. it is like, uh, 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 I need a break from Kuala Lumpur. But <laughs> anywhere would be great. You know, I mean, I've not explored Manila enough. When I last saw you, it was only for two days out. Oh, we that's went. right. Yeah. So, yeah. Manila, I love the University of the Philippines. We mm-hmm. need more, we need more time to, yeah. to really feel the lifeblood. Yeah. But definitely, we have got to go to uh, the areas in Mindanao, especially in the areas where Steve has uh, operations in Maguindanao, in yeah. Marawi. You're also in Iligan, right? Yes, and Zamboanga. And Zamboanga. So, because those are fascinating places. And Dina, you can take yeah. home handwoven textiles, beautiful oh. handwoven textiles from those areas. Okay. So thank you again, Steve. Uh, Any words of inspiration for our listeners? It's an honor to have met you. So hopefully in real life, it'll be soon next year. You're both very kind. And thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Please do keep up your podcast because it is helping a lot of people. And for our listeners, please keep Mindanao and Myanmar in your thoughts and prayers. Yeah, will do. Definitely will. Thank you both. Thank, thank, thank you so you, much. Steve. See you soon. Well, Dina, this has been an, an interesting conversation. Yeah. I've actually learned a couple of new things about Thanks. Steve, like how he had to eat a lot of chippies and coke because he was trying to <laughs> save. I, I couldn't imagine that, Dina, truly. Yeah. So pretty yeah. amazing, pretty amazing story, you must admit. His dedication is, you know, something else. Yeah, and he's the second gentlemen to yep. speak he talks speak. yeah um, and, and it, it's it's great that he remains um, very encouraged 
in uh, the future and he believes that our, our young people will step up and right. that the greatness of spirit that we need to see that spark that can change our communities uh, positively, not negatively. We're not looking for trolls here. Yeah, you know, yeah. that, that exists within yeah. our, our young. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed and my toes crossed <laughs> that our young yeah. people, our listeners are going to yeah. be with us as uh, we try and make sense of mm-hmm. this terrible present and hopefully have a more positive future, right. Dina. We will. On that note, Amina, perhaps, okay, Ampon will have to see whether she can make it because she's teaching, you know that. But I thought we could have a closed-door discussion among friends. Uh, Ruby, Yumi, Altaf, uh, of course, Sisters in Islam, and a few others in me, just talk about this far-right movement that's growing, la. you know? I've already alerted uh, Ima of Facebook, but Ima's doing this big summit, so I probably will talk to her at the end of the week. Yeah. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Yeah. And in the in the meantime, Yes. Uh, let's take some needed rest. Have yes. a second <laughs> cup of coffee or jamu if uh, yeah. you're into jamu. And yeah. um, this is Amina Rasul saying thank you for listening right. to She Talks Peace. Okay. Keep safe, have fun, but yep. have fun safely. Dina? Yes. Um, I concur with you. To all our listeners, thank you for supporting us all this while. We're working very hard to get, you know, to get more speakers. And there's so many, some who we can reach, some we can't reach because they're busy on the ground. But do listen to us every Sunday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And that's it, right? I mean, am I missing out on any other channels? Spotify and podcast, unless you want right. to create your own uh, no, no, Murdoch-type no. <laughs> media like Fox. No. Oh, no, 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 not Fox. <laughs> We don't have the time. So, Amina, it's a pleasure meeting you again virtually. (laughs) We'll see each other soon. Okay? Okay. Bye, everyone. Take care. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.